Welcome to AEM Early Access, a collaboration between Brown University Emergency Medicine and the editors of the Academic Emergency Medicine Journal. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and here's what we've got for you today. We see lots of kids with abdominal pain in the emergency department, and for most of them, appendicitis at least crosses our minds. The diagnosis of acute appendicitis in this population can be challenging. Once upon a time, and I can remember this time, you really just depended on your gestalt and the surgeon's gestalt, and based on those two things, the patient would go to the OR or not. And today obviously is different, and we rely a lot more on ultrasound and CT imaging, but how well does physician gestalt without imaging perform when we study it in acute pediatric appendicitis? Well, today we have Dr. Dustin Ballard, corresponding author for his team's new paper in AEM entitled, Diagnostic Performance of Emergency Physician Gestalt for Predicting Acute Appendicitis in Patients Age 5 to 20 Years. Dr. Ballard is an emergency physician with Kaiser Permanente Northern California and founder and steering committee member with the KP Crest Network, which is a multi-center collaborative network for emergency medicine research at Kaiser Permanente. Don't forget to read the full text of this article available on our blog at brownemblog.com, open access through September 2020. Dr. Ballard, it's so great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Gita. It's my pleasure to be here. So this paper is about the performance of physician gestalt in predicting acute appendicitis in pediatric patients in a community hospital setting. Now, some of us, including me, uh, remember the days when you could call a surgeon just based on your gestalt without any imaging, and then sometimes that surgeon would take the patient to the OR based on your gestalt and their gestalt, and I, those days are pretty much gone, I think, but I have no idea how well we actually performed back then, just going on our clinical judgment, um, but it, it turns out today physician gestalt has actually been studied in some other clinical settings, and we're going to talk about appendicitis in a minute, but can you tell us a little bit about what's known about physician gestalt um, at this point? Sure, absolutely. Uh, first, I'll just say that I have had over my career a number of occasions where a surgeon has uh, come down and uh, confirmed uh, my gestalt with our gestalt and, and taken a patient to the operating room for acute appendicitis. I, I think it does still actually happen occasionally in our in our system. So um, the uh, the intuitive mind is not completely uh, ignored uh, at this point. <laughs> I will also tell you that I, I am uh, using the British enunciation of Gestalt uh, with a hard G, so um, because the, uh, the the gush of the uh, of the Gestalt um, it doesn't quite feel right for me personally. So uh, <laughs> for those who might have a preference on that detail, I apologize. Gestalt. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, back to your your question. Yes, there is some evidence on the performance of Gestalt in clinical settings, especially in the emergency department, uh, but really not as much as there should be. At least that is uh, my opinion and the, the opinion of our research team uh, that led this study. And uh, there was actually a review done uh, several years ago by Schrager et al., and, and they looked at how often 
clinical ju judgment or gestalt was compared to a decision aid or a clinical decision rule? And the answer was very rarely. Uh, and when it was compared, actually, clinical judgment did pretty well. Uh, there was only two out of 21 studies where a decision aid, whatever uh, the, the decision uh, the clinical scenario uh, being studied, only two out of 21 where the decision aid actually performed better than clinical judgment. Uh, in terms of those areas where it has been studied, really probably the best evidence in terms of clinical judgment and, uh, and or gestalt or implicit probability estimation, whatever you want to call it, intuitive judgment, uh, it is probably best studied uh, in pulmonary embolism. Uh, both diagnosis in terms of being able to identify patients that may be low risk pretest probability, as well as being able to uh, look at and identify patients who have a confirmed diagnosis of acute pulmonary embolism and are safe for discharge home. There is a study out of Italy that looked at that scenario and actually found that clinician gestalt was better for uh, efficiently identifying patients that were low risk for uh, and able to go home with their diagnosis of pulmonary embolism compared to a number of other risk stratification tools like the PESI or simplified PESI. Uh, and the rate of adverse outcomes that they, uh, they saw was the same across the different stratification there. Now, uh, it is certainly the case that um, the that gestalt effectiveness is condition specific. And uh, there is good evidence that in the case of acute coronary syndrome an evaluation in emergency department and in terms of who would rule in or rule out uh, for workup for uh, or admission for acute coronary syndrome, that gestalt for clinician on the clinician level is not good enough to, um, to be uh, utilized in any sort of decision tree or algorithm. There's some uh, accumulating evidence on that, including a recent publication from Oliver uh, in the UK that came out earlier this year. So in that clinical scenario, really would be hard for us to trust our clinical judgment. Uh, and we can get into why you know different clinical uh, scenarios have different performance characteristics for Gestalt. I think there's some that are rather intuitive and, and maybe some that are not, um, but it's definitely the case that uh, you'd want to look at each clinical scenario separately to be able to decide whether or not um, Gestalt has a role to play uh, in ED management and um, diagnostic decisions. Fantastic. So coming back to pediatric appendicitis, why do you think studying Gestalt performance is important in this particular setting? Yeah, well, first, that's a, it's an important question. I think first I would say that uh, it's important, uh, as mentioned before, to study diagnostic performance of Gestalt in really any setting where you are looking at an algorithm, a decision aid, or clinical decision support, uh, just to be able to, to uh, compare what the intuitive mind um, and the practice mind uh, can do compared to all the other tools that we have at our disposal. So that that's the first thing. Uh, but the second is that the Pediatric abdominal pain population is a difficult uh, population uh, in general. Uh, we know that you know these are patients that um, have parents that have you know obviously have concern, and the diagnosis of appendicitis is, is pretty scary to the layperson. Uh, and then there's concern about uh, ionizing radiation, especially in the pediatric population with uh, with a CAT scan. Um, and finally, there's the medical legal ramifications that are almost always there in, in our system. And uh, 
clinicians are, are rightfully a little concerned to send a patient out without any evaluation uh, if they come in with abdominal pain, even though the, the rate of acute api in the broader pediatric abdominal pain population is quite low. Uh, so this was a setting where uh, at the time we started our study, uh, there was really only one other study out there that looked at Gestalt for pediatric uh, abdominal pain, and it was uh, a cohort that included both kids and adults and age 11 and greater. And they used a dichotomous cutoff of 60% Gestalt for uh, appendicitis, which you know I think if you look at our study and results, and we can get into it, it, is probably not a very helpful cutoff to use in this population. So those were you know sort of our um, motivations uh, in in terms of looking at this particular clinical setting. Excellent. So this study is a sub-analysis of a parent study that prospectively enrolled patients aged 5 to almost 21 years old who came in with abdominal pain to 11 different community EDs within the Kaiser Permanente Northern California Health System between October 2016 and 2018. So prior to diagnostic imaging, attending emergency physicians enrolled patients with less than five days of right-sided or diffuse abdominal pain using a tool embedded in their EHR. So can you first briefly tell us about the parent study, and then we're going to talk more about your sub-analysis. Sure, absolutely. The uh, parent study uh, is actually a collaboration with health partners and Children's of uh, uh, Minnesota, and it uh, is a cluster randomized implementation study that was uh, concluded earlier this year. Uh, and it was specifically was designed to test the implementation of the pediatric appendicitis risk calculator, the Parks Park calculator within the electronic health record. In our Kaiser system, uh, 11 out of the 21 EDs in Kaiser Northern California participated in uh, this study. And these are largely community EDs, although some of them do have affiliation with residencies and have some residents rotate through, and some of them uh, have inpatient pediatric units and others do not. Uh, so during this larger study, uh, we collected data, including the physician gestalt and short-term outcomes on pediatric patients age 5 to 20, and, and there was no decision support during the initial phase. So we used this cohort uh, that was uh, collected over almost two years uh, to be able to uh, look at two sub-goals of the larger study, and, and one was to confirm the uh, the PARC score and its validity within the community setting, uh, and, and this we did in 2019, uh, led by uh, uh, Dale Cotton, and that study is out in, uh, and published in Annals of Emergency Medicine. And then second was to look at specifically uh, gestalt performance in this population uh, and to see whether or not we might be able to uh, incorporate physician gestalt into further iterations of decision support coming out the backside of this study. So that was really what we were looking to see how well our clinicians did with their gestalt um, and be able to uh, perhaps get more granular and look at different stratification of risk uh, and whether or not that could, uh, there were areas where physicians did better than others. Okay. So let's talk about your methods in your sub-analysis. So how did you set your study up um, looking at the various uh, outcomes you were interested in? And at what point did the physicians then have to enter something about their gestalt? Was it before imaging? Could they wait for labs? So just tell us more about your your study. 
Yes, they. Uh, it was before imaging. Um, they could wait for labs. I'll just walk you through sort of how it would work uh, for a clinician in one of our emergency departments. Um, and we'll say that Johnny, age seven, is checking in to the ED and he has a complaint of abdominal pain um, and he gets assigned a treating MD right off the bat, which is how it works in our system. Uh, we have an Epic-based system that has been customized uh, fairly significantly, and it's called uh, KP Health Connect. So in this scenario, the age and the chief complaint would meet the study criteria, and this would trigger a, an alert to the treating doctor's iPhone uh, that's de-identified that would let them know that there could be an eligible patient uh, for them to enroll. Uh, this is a convenience sample, so we did not require the physicians enroll uh, the patients into the study, although uh, there were prior applications to our tool, which is called Ristra, uh, and so our docs are, are, are pretty well um, attuned to using it in the appropriate populations. So at this point, the doctor would go into their ED navigator uh, in their EPIC system, and there's a button called Ristra. It's a risk uh, stratification application. They'd click on that takes them to a web-based uh, platform that makes it feel like they're still within the Epic-based system, but they're really over in web services. And uh, then they go through the inclusion and exclusion criteria, uh, which are the same for the PARC study. Uh, after they go through inclusion and exclusion, then uh, they would enter some basic clinical variables, which are the ones that we usually assess during uh, our assessment of pediatric abdominal pain. You know, did they have uh, nausea? Uh, did they have tenderness in the right lower quadrant, that sort of thing, and encapsulated the clinical variables, both for the PARC score, but also the Alvarado and the PAS. Uh, and then after that, there's a sliding scale page where they entered their clinical uh, estimation of acute appendicitis diagnosis on a one to 100 uh, scale. Uh, they were at this point also instructed to do this before they ordered any imaging. That was not always done, but it was done in the vast majority of cases. And uh, in terms of the, the labs, they were not required to enter this before uh, the CBC was ordered, but in the vast majority of cases, they did do that 89% of the time. Okay. So your sub-analysis enrolled 3,426 patients and about 10% of them wound up having an acute appendicitis. So tell us, what did you find in terms of physician judgment? What other variables seem to matter in performance? Like, what did you find? Yeah, so we, uh, you're right, the physician Gestalt performed quite well, uh, and especially well in the lower strata of risk. So we did do both an, a continuous analysis as well as a stratified analysis. And when we looked at the 1% to 10% risk uh, strata for physician Gestalt, uh, the negative predictive value of that was 98.9%. Uh, so that was quite good. The clinicians also did well at the high end, greater than 90%, but not as well. And we were not particularly well powered to look at uh, this end of the spectrum because our, overall our, our population was you know, fairly low risk um, population compared to other studies and other settings. Um, we did, however, find that Gestalt overestimated risk, especially in the intermediate uh, intermediate ranges and our our calibration uh, in those in those um, st in those intermediate strata was was not was not great. Um, so bottom line, you know, the, uh, the the clinicians were quite good at the lower risk, uh, pretty good overall, um, but not 
but overestimated risk in the uh, intermediate ranges uh, and in the moderate range. Uh, in terms of predictors, we did look at that. Uh, we looked at clinical predictors of Gestalt, and we looked at all of those uh, clinical variables that I mentioned earlier, and we found that they were virtually all associated with Gestalt uh, in terms of increasing the risk, the Gestalt risk that was reported by the clinician, uh, with the exception of pain less than 24 hours. And we know that this, of course, is a a, a tricky situation, the, the kid that comes in with only eight hours of pain um, and the exam maybe has not evolved to the point where you can get maximal tenderness in the right lower quadrant. So that was the only variable that was not associated with Gestalt. In terms of specifically which variables were more associated, uh, they were the ones that you probably would, would guess, uh, anorexia uh, increased the Gestalt by 55%, migration of pain, 72%, pain with coughing or hopping or walking, 66%, and then maximal tenderness in the right lower quadrant, 88.8%. Uh, in terms of other clinician physician level characteristics, we, we looked at this as well. Uh, we didn't have a, a lot of data on uh, in terms of the physician characteristics for which uh, for us to explore. However, we were able to look at the sex of the provider as well as their experience. And we did find that, as you might expect, providers that had less experience and were uh, less than five years out of medical school did not perform as well with their gestalt. And that was across all the different risk stratifications. And so that um, uh, the C statistic comparison there was 0.84 versus 0.74 for the less experienced providers. So that went along with what we expected for this particular clinical scenario. Sure. Now, you alluded a little bit to this before, but lower clinical suspicion of appendicitis did not, in your study, necessarily correlate with avoidance of imaging. So can you talk a little bit more about what you found in that regard and then some reasons why you think that might be? Yeah, so that's true. In the one to ten percent risk group for implicit probability estimation, the observed appendicitis rate was only about one percent. However, clinicians still obtained some sort of imaging in almost twenty-three percent of those very low-risk patients. Ultrasound or CT, we really don't have readily available MRI of the abdomen in our system at this time. So this is. You know, fairly consistent with some other uh, literature suggesting the docs don't only do not always behave consistent with their gestalt or their their probability probability estimations, at least not in our U.S. system. So, you know, in terms of the why, uh, and I think some of it goes back to uh, what we talked about earlier in terms of medical legal risk and uh, just wanting to be sure that a diagnosis like acute appendicitis in a child is ruled out uh, before discharge from the emergency department, uh, and then. It also is workflow, and this just goes back to over a decade uh, worth of mantra in terms of um, how to diagnose appendicitis in both adults and, and kids. And that uh, is really uh, the workflows have relied on ultrasound early uh, and in patients of, of low to intermediate risk uh, early on. And that is definitely true in our system as well. And many people have, uh, many clinicians have gotten away from really paying attention to the white blood cell count uh, in these patients. But the sort of the culmination of our research on this topic would, would say that um, an early blood count is likely more effective and efficient than an early ultrasound. But I don't think that has really diffused into our management, at least not in our system. 
And you don't, in this study, do any kind of head-to-head comparison of physician gestalt to a clinical scoring system such as Alvarado or the PAS. How how do you think these scores should figure into our clinical practice if our gestalt is actually pretty good? Yeah, that's a a key, key question. And uh, it's something that we've been thinking about uh, quite a bit. Uh, I can't say I have the the absolute right answer, but the way we've been uh, thinking about this um, is that uh, Gestalt on the lower end of the strata in the, say, for example, in the one to 10% range in a community setting is probably good enough in the vast majority of cases, maybe with the exception of of, uh, pain less than 24 hours to be enough for the clinician to make a decision about no testing or ED observation with no testing or, or shared decision-making with the parents, uh, and that you don't get into those decision rules until you get into a higher risk estimation. So if you get above you know, 10%, then maybe it's time to think about using one of these tools. Um, and the PAS and Alvarado are out there, uh, as is the PARC, uh, which uh, is a uh, probably has a you know, better performance characteristics than those other two studies, but it does, uh, it does require a a calculator um, because it's not easily calculated by hand. Um, in terms of do, comparing the Gestalt to the uh, the clinical scoring systems, that's tricky because the, the clinical scoring systems rely on the white blood cell count. However, in our uh, study, we did not require any labs to be done to be able to uh, measure the Gestalt. In fact, the white blood cell count was only obtained in 58% of the population. So any comparison we would have done to these scores would not really have been a fair comparison. Um, but I can tell you that the overall area under the curve for the Gestalt um, in, in this population is quite similar to what we calculated for the PAS when we compared the PAS to the PARC score. Um, so you know, performance is probably pretty pretty similar. Um, across the board, but not really uh, a fair comparison for us to report in this paper. Okay. Are there any other limitations of this study that you'd like to highlight? Well, yes, yeah, certainly there are always limitations, and uh, this study was no different. In uh, We already mentioned the, um, the inability to have a fair comparison with the PS or Alvarado. Uh, we also, in this study, we asked the clinicians to enter their clinical variables prior to their gestalt. Uh, and these were the type of variables that we think that any clinician would would probably uh, include in their assessment of any kid with abdominal pain, you know, regardless of whether being prompted. But it may be that you know, in the prompting of uh, uh, of recording whether the the kid had pain with hopping or coughing, the the clinician maybe did something they wouldn't normally do, and that could have um, uh, factored into their gestalt. And you know, another limitation potentially is generalizability. Uh, we were not able to get all our clinicians to fill out this tool. So it's possible there was some bias in terms of enrollment bias. Uh, However, looking at the distribution of our clinicians that have uh, either enrolled or not enrolled patients in in previous studies, we don't see any significant differences. The only one that that comes out a little bit is that the younger physicians are are probably more likely to use our tools than uh, the more experienced ones, which kind of makes sense and is probably appropriate. Uh, but yeah, other than that, um, the uh, we feel pretty good in terms of addressing the limitations that were out there as best as we could. So what comes next for you and your team? Uh, yeah. So first of all, I, I want to um, make a, a call out to Dr. Uh, Dr. to be Lori Simon, uh, who uh, was a 
um, research assistant with our network, our Crest network here in, in Kaiser. And she is now at UC San Diego Medical School. She's the lead, lead author on this paper and really did a, a really nice job. Um, so, but in terms of our larger goals for the, for the study, we have finished the PERC implementation study that I mentioned earlier uh, and are, uh, have submitted the results for publication. So uh, we should be able to report back on what we found here relatively soon, we hope. Uh, but what we would like to do coming out of this is kind of along the lines of what I mentioned earlier, and that is find a way to incorporate Gestalt into clinical decision algorithms uh, for this patient population. And I think in this case, we can safely do so uh, with some caveats mentioned earlier, and also encourage clinicians to uh, get out of the habit of the reflexive ultrasound order uh, in our system and in others. These come back as equivocal in the majority of cases, up to 90% of the time. And that really leads the, the clinician into a quandary as to what to do next and whether they have to CT or not. So we'd like to provide an alternative uh, that allows the clinician to you know, safely and with confidence either trust their gestalt or their gestalt and a cl clinical prediction rule uh, and be able to cut back the use of, uh, uh, of ultrasound, which may extend the ED length of stay and may encourage uh, increased use of, uh, of CT in this population. So that's where we'd like to, to go with this and uh, really hopefully, hopefully change the way we, we think about the management of this patient population that I think would be a, a you know, win, win for clinicians, win for the kids, win for, win for the parents as well. Absolutely. And maybe you can include in there a poll um, as to how many physicians say gestalt versus gestalt. That's a sub-study idea. <laughs> I would like to um, just close because I found a, 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 a fun quote from Dr. Ben Spock, not Mr. Spock, but Dr. Ben Spock. <laughs> and he said, trust yourself. You know more than you think you do. So I think for some of our experienced ED clinicians with acute um, abdominal pain assessment, that is that is definitely the case. Those are wise words. So thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Very much looking forward to seeing what comes next. Great. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, uh, Gita, and for the great job you do with this podcast. Um, uh, really, really good service and uh, very educational. So thank you for, thank you for your excellent work. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this month's AEM Early Access. The full text of this article is available on our blog at brownemblog.com, open access for a limited time. Check out all of our podcasts on iTunes. Search for AEM Early Access, all one word. Today's music is by Scott Holmes. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and we'll see you next time.